0: Awesome. I'm Bob Newbauer, and you're listening to General Intellect Unit, and um, this week uh, we are reading Platform Capitalism by Nick Cernashek, which was released, I think, in December of 2016. Um, I like this book quite a bit. Um,
1: what was what was your take, Bob? What, what, did you like it? Yeah, you know, I, I really liked it because uh, I, I got... Into it because I was teaching a class on political economy of, of communications, and I had to uh, convince—I um, had to like fool the students into into them thinking that I knew things about this stuff, <laughs> and I couldn't, and and, and, I, and I and I couldn't really find a, a, a really solid um, like broad view of this of the platform sector and its relationship to capitalism over time. And when I read the book, I was just really impressed. It just seemed a lot more um, both grounded, like expansive, but grounded and detailed than a lot of the other stuff I had seen written on platform media. And so I really liked it. I thought it was great.
2: Yeah. And um, I, I totally agree with that. I think it's very interesting because in the sort of introduction to the book, Cerncheck lays out kind of where he thinks the book falls compared to previous studies of the subject. But um, I think the thing that really impressed me is like, it's a very um political economy focused uh profit driven picture of of platform capitalism of of capitalism of digital platforms um but because of that like specificity uh because it is focused on this like one subject as opposed to like this broad reaching like Overall view of capitalism, which you usually get in political economy, um, it ends up being like quite a bit more engaging. Um, yeah, because it, it's it's easy when you have I find when you have a, a book that is is so driven by that like falling profit rate argument. Um, it's easy to get just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's more of the same, right? Like, it's the same same argument again. Like, oh, of course, it's the falling profit rate. Like, you know, like <laughs> it's like, oh, why is the sky blue? Oh, it's the falling profit rate, right? Like, uh, <laughs> kind of get into that sort of, like, re- repetitious problem in some of this political economy stuff. But you really don't get that with this book. Um, it feels... Much more engaged, much more detailed, much more textured. Um, It's really quite an engaging read, and it 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 feels like you know, being given that it was written in 2016, it feels very prescient. It feels like the experiences we've had. Wow, uh, since then. (laughs) um, That's my shower curtain crashing (laughs) to the ground. Uh, <laughs> the experiences we've had since then really like, bear out what Cernicek was saying in 2016. like It feels like the direction things have moved is in line with what he was saying in this book, and it had some predictive value, and that's really impressive.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, he's, um, he's a clever guy, and he seems to have got it more or less right on the money uh, with this one. Um, I found it very, um, particularly for me, coming from a sort of tech startup kind of background, like where these uh, digital platforms are held in such high regard and are kind of held up as, uh, you know, these glimmering examples of a brand new paradigm, right? To then have the author here um, say that, you know what, not really, right? It, it's, it's more of the same old shit. It's, 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 it's still just capitalism. We haven't transcended anything. This isn't a – it's not a sort of complete break from the past. And not only that, but it's actually a continuation of the past trends that, like, he, he does he, – he roots this in a historical context – and a, a continuation of trends that is that is very sobering, right? And it's kind of the opposite of the Silicon Valley take of, like, ooh, gosh, look at these things. Uber is so shiny, you
2: know? Yeah, I, I think he threads the needle pretty well there because what he does is um, distinguishes platform capitalism from the previous neoliberal stage uh, that, you know, people will be familiar with from, like, reading David Harvey or whatever, has, like, a new stage of, uh, like, basically, you know, in a, in a kind of regulationist way. It's like a, 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 a new um, regime of production, right? Um, it's, it's it's
1: still capitalism, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, at the same time, I think fig- he does a really good job of connecting that Kind of kind of Harvey analysis or the kind of analysis of neoliberalism to platform uh, to to this new stage, like to this new regime, right? Because it's like, oh, okay, you've got like massive unemployment and and uh, and and precarious employment, and that makes Uber more attractive for people to work at. You've got uh, declining savings and stagnating wages, especially for young people, and that makes Spotify very attractive. And so there's a real, uh, it's like it's like it's a it doesn't just uh, reinvent the wheel or tell the same old story but it does connect um, the outcomes of those previous stories to the the world we're living in now very well I thought I, I really enjoyed that.
2: yeah it's, it's, it is, it's an extension of that kind of like regulationist history like anybody who's followed the political economy of this stuff is familiar with uh, from like the last 40 years right It's like oh like I'm adding on to this story
0: yeah it's uh, it's good stuff um so if we dig into the introduction uh we get this opening that like this is a book about uh, the contemporary moment and it's uh, it's emerging technologies right we're talking about platforms big data uh advanced robotics machine learning the internet of things all this sort of stuff right and um the uh, the author identifies a shortcoming in in a lot of the analysis of this stuff right that like it almost always leaves out the the question of ownership right the kind of uh Political economic relations that under underpin all this stuff. Um, so in this book, he's going to be analyzing emerging technology in a h- economic historical historical context, uh, which is pretty novel, right? Like um, you don't you don't often get this uh, this kind of analysis of this exact topic.
2: Yeah, he's he's specifically distinguishing it from um, the kinds the kind of like ideology critique. Uh, that we saw in um, the Californian ideology and uh, in uh, All Watched Over. Um, He's distinguishing it from that kind of analysis um, and then also distinguishing it from um, autonomous analysis of of, of, uh, digital capitalism, uh, which I don't think we've really covered very much on this show, but um, is, is... I guess very prominent in academic circles, even if it doesn't have much uh, sway or
1: popularity outside of them. I'm v- very I would say in, 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 uh, very prominent in media and communication studies in particular. Like, I've noticed that where it's like, like, uh, the new people in my department getting hired are autonomous. The, the big books they're writing are based on the autonomous tradition. They, uh, and when I started doing like job, like go look at, look at it, the job market and who's hiring. I like, like I looked at U of T's communications, uh, program and they had a job and I was like, Oh, maybe I'll, since I got some Marxists and I was like, Oh, they've got <laughs> 10, li- 10 liberals and six autonomous. Right? so 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 it is it is it is very uh, very prominent in that little subset of academia and and this uh, is a, a bit of a refreshing um, departure from that for me
2: yeah and um, given that we we haven't really uh, covered autonomism that much on this show like uh, we we have certainly cast some shade in their direction uh, in the xenofeminism episode but um, uh, I guess we should just kind of give a, a little rundown on, on what the sort of autonomous position is on this stuff because, again, it, it's just something the listeners might not be super familiar with. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Bob, because you've got more sort of personal familiarity with the scholars who do this kind of work, but... Um, I think autonomism is really focused on the idea of the general intellect um, mm-hmm. and the the social factory, right? Um, That's right. So these are these are two concepts. Like general intellect, I think most people will be familiar with from our show. Uh, it's something that comes out of Marx's work, um, and the essential idea there is that as capitalism becomes more and more sophisticated, um, science and science specifically, and sort of common social knowledge becomes a greater and greater component of production. Um, and I think we would all certainly, like, agree with that. That's, that's really not something that would be controversial at a time like this. Uh, but what the autonomists tend to do is they make the leap from that point to saying that, well, okay, if that's the case then maybe, like, kind of everything we do is productive of value.
1: Um... Everyone ends up producing value All of the time through their social relations And and, and you, mo- you move away from An argument like okay Like you know Nike might go into A uh, 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 low income uh, uh, Minority Majority neighborhoods and Steal their styles and appropriate them To uh, everyone's slang Everyone's mode of sociability Everything everyone is doing Is somehow fueling value and Often they I would argue that they don't um, They don't uh, show Show the math. Yeah. Right? That I mean,
2: yes. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think this their take on the general intellect is very much tied to the idea of the social factory, which is kind of um, dissolving the distinction between productive and reproductive labor, right? Uh, productive labor, which is productive of value in some kind of waged work relationship to a capitalist employer and then uh, work that is done to reproduce the worker, which is often unpaid, um, they try to kind of explode that distinction and say, well, it's all kind of productive of the capitalist system. And that's kind of also how their arguments about immaterial labor and informational capitalism uh, kind of go. Is like, let's just dissolve all of these, di- these conceptual distinctions and boundaries and think about capitalism as a productive totality Um, yeah And, and so a lot of the debates about um whether you agree with the autonomous or not is whether you're willing to draw distinctions between uh certain spheres of life uh or whether you want to dissolve those um
1: and and that and that it means that when it comes to analyzing platforms, they've been particularly interested, from my perspective, on advertising platforms and things in which they can um, describe as free labor. Actually, making a direct connection, it's kind of like a suturing between Negri's immaterial labor um, a theory and I would I would argue a, a reinvention of Dallas Smythe's audience commodity theory with like legacy media, right? Like, like uh, audiences do labor by watching ads. Well, now everyone is doing labor by uh, doing free labor by their Facebook posts, by sending emails on Gmail. Um, and, and so, uh, and so you've got this vast apparatus, which is acquiring uh, that, that is fueling these um, uh, industries. Uh, but uh, it's all, Conceptualized as uh, free labor, and 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 Svonecek, uh is is uh, critiquing that uh, quite directly, but not spending lots of time on it too, which I think is it's nice. He he kind of show, shows more than he tells, right?
0: It's um it's a big upside of this um this book, right? That it is it is pretty short, right? And even like um I think chapter the first chapter, right? The long downturn is um like for, for some like it would be it would be a thing you could just give to someone who wasn't familiar with say the history of the last 80 years or so in terms of economic development and that would be a solid just 40 page intro that would cover the whole damn thing you know it's it's actually remarkable how dense it is and how readable you know
2: yeah definitely um and th- so this is this is the point that you were getting to bob but the the point where where the autonomous argument tends to fall apart um is that they argue that sort of we're in this, this this advanced stage of, you know, real subsumption where like everything is capitalism and like capitalism capitalist value production is just it's just off the charts, like cause everybody is constantly producing. You know, even, even to the point that uh, like you know, some people have argued that, you know, the what What were you saying earlier, like that the, the production of, of value on face, the rate of profit on Facebook is infinite or something,
1: something like <laughs> that. this. this, this in, fact, in fact, that is uh, directly uh, Christian Fuchs's uh, argument. And I, and I think and I think maybe Terra Nova, I'm not sure. Those are the two most prominent people I know of specifically looking at social media. I feel like this just if someone if some if, if someone looks at that, if your goal is praxis. Which, which his is right um, if, if someone looks at that and says infinite rate of profit oh so I'm more I am more exploited in the rate of profit than a worker at a fo- Foxconn factory they're just gonna laugh like no one is gonna take that seriously and so uh, so it's just uh, it becomes it becomes a bit of a problem because there's these kind of very grandiose gestures that don't seem to really meaningfully like like engage with the kind of kind of concrete way these platforms make profit and make money in a way that I think this book really does. Because he's because he's not denying that people's activities on Facebook produce value. What he is denying is that everything that Facebook is using in terms of uh, all the data it's getting can be meaningfully described as that type of of labor, which he doesn't even think can be described as labor. And and that and so it's it's that that activity that that helps fuel Facebook's uh, uh, profitability uh, takes place in like an ever growing and almost complex, increasingly complex matrix of activity being monitored by by Facebook. Facebook or whoever or Amazon or Google that can't meaningfully be described as people being forced to work long hours, which, of course, was like the a classic argument that political economists had with Dallas Smythe and his original audience commodity three back in the day, like people like Graham Murdoch and, and so on. And Peter Golding used to have, I think, long and, and vicious arguments <laughs> yeah, with with, right. with guys like Dallas Smythe, right, uh, about that. Because, of course, for one thing, you know, people kind of like what they're doing a lot more than they like what they're doing at, uh, working at Starbucks, so. Yeah. But that,
0: that's, um, the, I think uh, Sarnichek gets into that pretty concretely in Chapter 2, but for the, um, for the intro one of the kind of opening points he sort of nails down is that the profit motive is what conditions everything in capitalism anyway right and it conditions these platforms too so like we, we get a lot of this kind of stuff of like oh you know facebook need to have better values or whatever or google needs to have better values and kind of the argument here is that that's kind of irrelevant because they're they're conditioned by this uh like abhorrent logic that like drives everything in the system regardless of their values right like um He's re he's recentering profit and competition as the the objects of study here.
2: Yeah, it is like this. This is quite you know transparently a capital logic style argument. Um, it like to the point that he even says like in the introduction like yeah I don't really talk very much about worker resistance or anything like that in this book. Um, uh, you know, basically responding to the sort of studies that autonomists tend to do when they're not making grand proclamations about you know capitalism, uh, and um, he's saying, well, you know, workers are so beaten down that it makes sense to focus on capital logic right now. Yeah, because for for
0: now, capital is the agent of. yes exactly yeah Yeah.
2: capital capital is the agent of this account at the very least right like it is it is it is absolutely focused on um the declining rate of profit uh and it is absolutely focused on uh inter-capitalist competition more than it is focused on capitalist worker class struggle um So, you know, those are those are sort of like caveats that he provides at the beginning of the text. But like given that other people have not been providing this analysis, um, I find it to be incredibly useful. Um, And and, and as I said, it it does have sort of more texture and nuance and
1: interest than some uh, declining profit rate arguments do have. Well, like if you if you read Robert, sometimes you feel you you it feels like you are um, following him, Roberts and and or you feel like you're following them, um, exploring uh, the uh, the implications of the theory in a way that's very similar to the autonomous stuff. Whereas this feels a little bit like, and maybe this is just a, a sleight of hand of 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 of, of Srinicek, but it feels like you're following him. Just following the like, following the money, like following the, the following the growth of these companies, following the monetary uh, policy conditions, uh, and and finance the the state uh, the, and the conditions within the state finance nexus that make these companies possible at particular times. And it feels it just feels refreshing. I I learn, I feel like I yes. learned so much each page.
2: Yeah, it, it's like that particular historical detail that really uh, sets this book apart. Um, but, you know, as, as we were saying, like, it, the, the autonomous argument kind of falls apart on the basis of, like, this profit problem. And where you, you specifically see that is, like, if the value – like, if the rate of profit at Facebook is infinite – why was there a 2008 financial crisis? Why has capitalism been in the doldrums ever since then? Why is there a crisis of profitability in China right now that is like obvious and is provoking like clear state action to repress any kind of worker resistance, <laughs> right? Like you know these are important questions, and the Autonomous have no good answers to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel as well that we should we should point out because I think it's something that we, we're carrying around implicitly that the listeners don't aren't maybe not aren't aware of. This is um, Nick Cernicek of the Accelerate Manifesto with Alex Williams. So. It, there's a lot of rhyming here and a lot of resonance with that with that work as well. And a lot of the, um, the same sort of ideas of like, yeah, capitalism is in this like sclerotic kind of uh, calcified state. It's not actually as dynamic as it pretends to be and so on. Um, yeah.
1: so. Which really comes out of the analysis of Uber. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. This is not like I feel like, uh, you know, this is one of those books where I actually feel like I like I've got these like f- like freedmen worshipping um, uh, relatives you know, like kind of like uh, 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 sort of, um, I, I you know, corp- you know, corporate folks and and finance folks, and I just feel like, and some of them just worship Zuck, Zuck, the Zuck, you know, and uh, they love the word disruption. It just it's the most exciting word to them in the world, and and I just I feel like you could give them this book, and it wouldn't they'd be able to read it. Like they'd be able to, whether they agreed or not, it wouldn't seem like it wouldn't seem magical. It would seem pretty grounded. <laughs> Yeah, totally.
0: But anyway, um the uh, Nick wraps up the, the the end of the introduction with um with kind of like setting out the the tone of what's coming, but like um, the argument of this book is that with a long decline in manufacturing profitability, capitalism has turned to data as one way of maintaining economic growth and vitality in the face of a sluggish production sector. So yeah, just like what we're on about there, like, capitalism is in a kind of dire straits, uh, really, but this is, like, one of the last resorts, right, Uh, to maintain any kind of dynamism, is to uh, turn to, like, hoovering up data
1: and trying to weaponize that.
2: Yes, and and he's going to give a very specific definition of what data is. Yeah. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. And what it's not.
2: Right,
0: yeah and the um, and what, what, what the generation and processing of it really implies for
1: labor. Um, yeah. a data economy is not necessarily a knowledge economy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah that's it's definitely deflating a lot of that um, that sort of nineties uh, knowledge economy, ooh whiz bang, new economy sort of stuff. But anyway, chapter one, uh, the long downturn, gives us uh, a bit of a history of what's come before leading up to this, uh, this moment with these platforms. And I figure, Kyle, you're our history of economics guy. Could you give us like a whistle-stop <laughs> tour of this chapter?
2: Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I think this is a story some of our listeners may already be familiar with to some extent. Um, if you want to look at it from of like a history of economics or economic history perspective as i said it's really focused on the falling profit rate so the argument here is that um you have this period of dynamism in the aftermath of world war ii um where you have uh, america simply like without any kind of industrial rivals because the other ones have been bombed into oblivion um, and that creates uh, a very strong uh, possibility for uh, rising profitability. Um, and this leads to uh, rising standard of living. Um, it leads to sort of the golden era of the welfare state. I mean, Again, you know, this is a profit-driven analysis So you can point to, like, how workers Actually fought for those things And all the specifics of how that played out
1: And, and um, racialized and gendered Divisions of labor And how yes. those also fall apart in the 60s Like, that's that's something that you don't really get From uh, this sort of analysis I mean, right, where, where exactly. I think the autonomous are, are stronger on that
2: Right, right And and, and it, it is um, So that there, there, are, there are a lot of gaps in that history But, the, you know, the, the basic point here Is that the high rate of profit and the sort of uncontested dominance of the United States in this period alongside um, the sort of comparative advantages that Germany and Japan had um, as like low-cost producers with like a very strong um, educated workforce and so on. uh, it, It led to you know this this real boom of capitalism and it it definitely changed people's minds about capitalism. Uh, People, it kind of prior to that, you know, they'd been through the depression and they were sort of more in a mindset similar to the one that we have today where we see capitalism as kind of a declining system, um, a system that's had its day uh, in the sun, but that day is gone. Um, And their minds were turned around in the 50s and 60s Uh, into the early 70s because there was this period of welfare capitalism. Uh, I I think it's called like, you know, uh, often called Fordist um, sometimes called uh, what, like institutionalized or something so, like that. Sometimes
1: called organized capitalism. I think the uh, the monthly was it the Monthly Review School of uh, of monopoly capitalism is is a yeah. similar uh, mm-hmm. thing. Although, although they trace the rise of monopoly capitalism to earlier than the Fordist period, but but yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So anyway, th- this is this is a significant period in the history of capitalism, and in the 1970s. You get uh, stagflation, you get the breakdown of Keynesianism um, as their understanding of the economy increasingly uh, ha- has less and less to do with reality, um, and they they don't know how to manage the economy in an effective way that is going to ensure full employment at the same time as it ensures low inflation. Um, and so the decision is made. Uh, And the the reason why this happens specifically is because um, Japan and Germany uh, become more and more competitive. Their economies become more sophisticated. They have newer vintages of the means of production. They have newer machines. They have newer factories. They have better production processes than America does. And in a competitive market, um, American capital becomes less and less competitive. And prices are driven down towards costs. Uh, profitability collapses, um, and the response to that is to restructure capitalism um, in what in the in the form that we are familiar with as as neoliberalism. And you know that involves creating more flexible production systems. It involves uh, focusing on core competencies in the business instead of having these like sprawling corporate enterprises. Companies become lean. Yeah, you get lean production. You get just-in-time production, where you don't have big inventories sitting around. You don't have labor forces that you need just in case there's a surge in demand.
1: You um, outsource. You outsource uh, uh, to mitigate. You uh, uh, to only be working in your core competencies, right? And our outsourcing uh, rapidly turns to offshoring by the '90s. Yeah.
2: Yes, and 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 specifically, it also involves uh, smashing unions, driving uh, wage wages down in absolute terms sometimes, but often uh, through like using uh, central banks to implement like really draconian monetary policies, like the voter um, shock. Yeah, and uh, and and th- that all basically leads to like you know smashing the power of the union smashing the power of the workers um, and trying to extract value by just like making everybody work harder uh for less
1: yeah and brutal attacks on the social wage as part of that union and labor busting uh movement right you gotta you gotta you gotta you don't just have to destroy people's worker protections you've got to make sure that they are more dependent on the market than ever
2: now so this is a very common story um like most people understand that story from sort of Bernie's rhetoric or something like that, right? Like, you know, it's, there is a strain of American progressivism that uh, – or of, of, of social democratic um, arguments that, that kind of point to all this stuff. Um, the, the specific thing that's different about the, the, the account that Cernicek is giving is that this is a profit-driven phenomenon, so the, the decisions that were made in the 70s were draconian and horrible, but they were absolutely rational in terms of um, the, the profit motive and the necessity of profit to capitalists, like the perpetuation of the capitalist system. Um, and, and so what that means is neoliberalism didn't happen because Reagan and Thatcher were mean people. It didn't, it didn't happen because of an ideological shift. It happened because of a clear motivation in the logic of capital. Um, and you know, it, that, that is all about um, the falling rate of profit as you, as you get improved technology coming in, and old vintages become less and less competitive. And it's also about offshoring internationalization, the collapse of communism leading to a glut of labor um, and poor labor conditions uh, around the world. So when we look at uh, social democratic politics today or progressive politics today, um, we have to reckon with the actual demands of capitalism as a profit-seeking system. Uh, we, we can't just think about this in terms of ideology or like kind of voluntaristic theories of like, well, if we were just if we just had more spirit, if we just fought harder, if we just struggled harder, then everything could be like it was in the 50s. Everything could be like it was in the 60s. And, then, and like, you know, obviously there are massive problems of 50s and 60s that are often obscured in that account, but it is, an, it is a popular account, and it is an account that um, these kinds of profit rate focused historical arguments don't really share anything in common with, because, you know, they're, they're just going to say, well, if you fight the profit motive hard enough, there's going to be a big backlash, and what are you going to do about it? it it's not uh, something you can just kind of freely change here and there.
0: Yeah. Um, and that brings us up to the, the, the track to, from the 70s towards the dot-com boom and bust, right? Where, because manufacturing profitability slumped, uh, the money goes on the hunt for new investments, right? Because... Even though the, the profitability is gone, the profitability imperative is still there. So you end up with, like, big chunks of money just kind of roaming the world, looking for places to find new returns. And that go, that becomes venture capital funding, and all gets poured into the new internet infrastructure, right? Like, it's a frenzied rush to dominate the brand-new, shiny internet market in the hopes of creating giant cyber monopolies. You know, it's it's this big go-big-or-go-bust, the-winner-take-all sort of... Um, sort of thing Um, and yeah what's interesting again what's interesting there and I'm kind of rhyming with what we've been saying but like like for the Silicon Valley crowd and for tech startup people I mean everyone I've been familiar with like this is just taken as a given right oh you know one day a big load of money showed up and then internet and then nice things right but Sarnoschek is drawing a direct line here. This this is a there's a through line all the way through this history. There's there's an arc to it all, and each each new development follows on from the previous one in a very kind of sensible kind of way, or well sensible in retrospect, right? Like his history is this weird thing where it's hard to predict, but looking back on it, it all sort of makes sense and rhymes. So yeah, we get this um, huge injection of capital into the fixed assets of the uh, of the internet, and the internet goes mainstream. Um, you know, California lights up. It's the new the new best place to be. Um, which enables more outsourcing, right? Because now you've got the network technologies to further that uh, that trajectory. Um,
2: yeah, the like as we talked about in that Graber uh, episode uh, on the the flying cars and flying array of profit. Um, a lot of these technologies began as efforts to discipline the workforce and to increase profitability by deskilling and uh, yeah, dis- disempowering them. Um, And and thereby, you know, creating more opportunities to to have lower wages and so on. Um, And so, yeah, it really starts out of there and then kind of blossoms out into its own whole
1: sector of capitalism. That's right, and and of course that boom is associated like this fixed infrastructure. Like you know, you're building, you're you're seeing this period of massive layout, uh, a rollout of fiber optic cables, transatlantic submarine cables, which are obviously significantly designed to stitch together a uh, you know a, a, a transnational. Uh, a, a mode of economic organization that can discipline labor on a global scale, that can that can coordinate finance in a rapidly burgeoning. This is the same period of uh, the repeal of Glass-Steagall. This is the same period of a massive increase in financialization. But of course, by the end of the bust, you've now got this massive Capacity uh, for for firms that actually weren't profitable to do this, right? Like that's I think that's that's a recurring theme of like the state finance nexus, cont- uh, the cheap money from state finance nexus during crisis of profitability. Can, it continuously becomes necessary for organizations to actually lay a lot of unprofitable groundwork. Like it's not like these people just had such brilliant ideas that the market immediately rewarded them. It's we're gonna. I mean, I actually think one of the one of the narratives that comes th- comes through with this is like, well, why not just socialize this shit from the start? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? oh, yeah, none, <laughs> of this none of this shit is profita- profitable Profitable, Actually I find uh, I find uh, as Students pick up on that like They like that a lot more than the free labor Anyway sorry yeah, that's it, a digression
2: it, it's, it's a great argument it's a really, like, Because you know you, you, Like in the case of something like Amazon
1: Amazon's not profitable for 10 years Facebook, you know, Google's not profitable for 10 years You gotta give them monopoly status And then they'll fuck you over the data Like why didn't we just Build this shit
2: Yeah Exactly, and like in the, in the case of Amazon, you know, it's like their great hack was to exploit a loophole in the USPS, right? And the USPS, that's some old infrastructure, right? Like that's infrastructure that's been going back a long time. And then on top of that, you have the, the 90s fiber optic infrastructure that they're taking advantage of and the software infrastructure that was developed in that time. And so like, you know, these... State, yeah, often like often directly state financed, but sometimes um, state financed through like central banking policy uh, efforts are essential to the construction, development, and survival of these industries. Um, and yeah, I mean, the result is wages continue to stagnate right? We have more and more billionaires. We have these tech billionaires who are just like the robber barons of our time. And they have entirely done this, you know, on the back of massive public financing um, and long periods of unprofitability, which, you know, really points to the unfairness of this whole thing. Because if you went to start a small business, And you said to your banker, oh, um, I might be profitable in 20 years. There's no way you are going to get (laughs) loaned for your small (laughs) business plan. But that's what these people have done and become the richest people on earth because of it.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. It's like no 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 mom and pop operation would be treated with this level of largesse from the state finance nexus as these platform capitalists were like like the the extent to which this involves a massive social transfer of wealth. Uh, 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 really, right, and uh, and and to a certain extent, the whole this whole history of this of this book, the nineteen nineties, the post two thousand eight crisis, it feels like a constant series of monetary policy, loose monetary policy, and 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 the finance uh, uh, nexus pushing on a rope.
0: Yeah, totally. Which is, which is kind of what happens with the, you know, ninety eight with the East Asian crisis and how that... We, we covered a lot of that in the All Watched Over episode as well. But, like, yeah, as you were saying, like, we get... Um, in order to keep the show going, right, we get all this financial chicanery, like, you know, cutting interest rates and all this kind of shit. Like, uh, I think that the phrase that's used here is asset price
2: Keynesianism as well, um, which... Um, Very much the, uh, like, the, the Paul, Paul Krugman... Uh, school of Keatsian thought <laughs> uh,
0: that just creates another round of roaming money or like, like you could just imagine a big tidal wave of predatory money that's just washing around the globe just seeking anywhere that it can find a return and that goes into housing which we all know leads to the fucking 2008 crisis right uh, that shit
2: bursts um, and yeah and it, it's every round of this that happens the monetary policy becomes more and more desperate and exotic and like just strange, right? Yeah,
1: until you end up with quantitative easing, right?
2: Yeah, and and that that is, that is um, like one thing I really like about what Cernicek does in this book is that he um, he investigates and highlights the ways in which quantitative easing has enabled uh, cash hoarding by tech companies and how that has this really negative synergy with their capacity for tax evasion. Um, so you have, like, essentially, like this isn't something Tech goes into, but essentially, I, I think maybe Wendy brought this up when she was on, on the show, I can't remember. But as these, as these tech companies start to hoard more and more money, they essentially begin to become more and more financialized. Um, and, and they become more and more like investment companies. Until you get something like Alphabet, Google Google becomes very like abstracted from its original core business competency, Um, and so they 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 start to like participate in like all of the worst uh, results of quantitative easing in terms of speculative uh, investment and so on, uh, asset inflation. in addition to their already existing practices of tax evasion, so they're they're causing
1: more and more social harm and paying less and less into the social fund. Yeah, well, well, and 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 if you've got like a shit ton of money just sitting out there in big pools in like the British Virgin Islands or whatever the Cayman Islands, then all of a sudden and and and, and you've got like effectively like zero or negative. Uh, uh, interest rates. Um, well, it's it's actually cheaper for you to go into more debt than it is to repatriate your cash and pay the tax.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Which which ties in with this kind of post two thousand eight bit as well, where like uh, obviously the, the the massive bills that states were were left with uh, led to our, our austerity policies that came after. But that's then exacerbated. Like there's kind of a there's a vicious cycle here where. Um, yeah, they're they're hoarding all this all this wealth instead of like say you know paying tax on it or whatever, and um, yeah, that that exacerbates the austerity, and then like there's this there's this whole thing as well where like you know the 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 monetary policy becomes the only lever that you have because you can't spend, you know like as a as a state right like and. This just goes around and around in a circle, and it creates um, increasing precarity for workers, right? Like for the general public, um, and also these gigantic fucking islands of money that are still trapped in that cycle of wanting to find because, like, the the imperative is still there, right? The the uh, the imperative to you know go from money to commodity to money pl- money plus is still still there, right? So it still needs to find something. Uh, to do when it's not sitting still, right? So it's going into these immensely risky assets and risky investments because the the real economy, you know, to put it in quotes, is uh, is dead in its ass, right? Like it's just there's no profit. The, the the rate of profit, the actual rate of profit, has dropped to almost zero. Um, so you're just left with these, these sort this sort of vortex of bullshit, right? <laughs> like that just keeps on going, and keeps on yes. spinning and getting worse and getting crazier and crazier by the ear. Um.
2: It's an infinity spiral of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, what you say. Exactly. Oh, uh. <laughs> Next stop,
1: Superland. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> 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 Yeah, you. Know, I, but 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 I find one, one thing that's interesting about this this argument. And we'll get back to it when we get to uh, uh, talk about lean pl- the lean platforms. Is one thing I always point out to like the students who want they want Uber. I'm just like you gotta understand. Like the whole point of this is some of these companies aren't profitable. Like Uber doesn't make money. Like Uber's goal is to get enough venture capital um, and and excess profits from uh, the big tech giants that they crush the cab unions in whatever city you live in, and then they'll screw you and jack up the price. And then, like their their eyes open, their eyes open. They're like, "Oh my god, that's this is a bad deal." I'm like, "Well, yeah, yeah. Don't listen to Thomas Friedman. Like, don't listen. To, yeah. This is what this is the play, and that was Amazon's play, and that and that was Google's play, and that mm. was Facebook's play."
0: I think that's that's really interesting because like that Friedmanite shit is like it's the kind of stuff that makes sense so long as you never think about it. But then when, when you, or when you, know very much about Yeah. But when you, when you say that to a student or just anyone almost like they instantly get it and they're like, Oh God, that's terrible. You know, like it, it doesn't take much to, to flip them over there. You know, yeah, people um,
1: know a grift when
0: you explain it. Exactly.
1: Yeah. We, we, yeah. I, I, I have a friend, Matt, who claims we live in a, the current age of capitalism that actually grift capitalism.
0: <laughs> yeah. But you can, you can definitely see the, that the, right with Trump and bad. all his fucking weird, like uh, sharp tooth grifters that, like just hang around them, right?
2: Well, I mean, I I, 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 I always take issue with those kinds of characterizations because it impl- like they always kind of harken back to a golden age of capitalism that didn't exist. <laughs> that wasn't a grift. It was a <laughs> oh, Right? Yeah. Like like <laughs> and, 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 like it kind of gets into the problematics of like the crony capitalism that's label. Right, that's right. No, um,
1: I, I, and and, I, and to be clear, this person who who coined this phrase it was it was it was it was a very jokey type. I don't think it wasn't his real analysis that there was a, a golden age Yeah, yeah. Just
2: I like, I, I definitely see how that argument, like, has some validity. It's just, you know, we always got to be, like, careful because it, I feel like at every, any possible opportunity, uh, like, the, the, the like, liberal centrist spin machine will come up with, like, sort of qualifiers on the term capitalism that will allow them to situate, like, the good kind of capitalism against the bad kind of capitalism. We Like, we see this a lot... Uh, with like the kinds of like uh, spin doctoring bullshit that's happening uh, in like the
1: Democratic primary right now, um, you're saying you are not voting for Beto O'Rourke? <laughs> I'm doing whatever the opposite. Well, of is.
2: I was going to immigrate <laughs> to the U.S. just so I yeah. could get on the Beto train, but you <laughs> know, least... you convinced me, Bob. You have convinced
1: me. Yeah, at least, at, at least, at least find a way to publish more of his high school poetry.
0: Mhm oh, that, yeah, that was that was fucking grim, yeah, <laughs> but anyway, um so yeah, I mean the, the, what we've got there is it's setting us up for the post two thousand eight moment right, like, and that's where we get into chapter two with platform capitalism, and the opening remark is that like... Yeah, in crisis, capitalism tends to restructure and change, right? Like, and, like, there's obviously, there's been changes all along this history that we've just seen, and there has been also been a change post-2008 as well. And um, we've got, like, I mean, we're all familiar with this, right? The shift to, like, big data, automation, all these, like, on-demand platforms and all this kind of stuff. And we're going to, he sort of sets it up, like, the, this is this is commonly understood as, like, this kind of new economy or, or knowledge economy stuff, where... Like labor and product are immaterial, and um, you know it's something new and and, and effervescent. But um, no, it's 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 still just is capitalism, right? It's.
1: Uh, and the commodity is not immaterial. No, of course not. <laughs> Do you know, like, like every, t- like, like, like uh, the amount of water that goes into the to Google and Facebooks and the fucking NSA's servers. <laughs> like, this is not an immaterial product, and the and the labor that produces it is not immaterial. Like, it's just. It's a silly yeah,
2: joke. like you know, I was I was chatting with you about uh, you know this like basically this 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 streaming game service that Google's uh, proposing to launch, or the one that Nvidia is already doing right now, um, and I, I definitely had uh, a moment in trying, like thinking about this stuff, of like looking at the little tiny box on my on my uh, entertainment system. And being like, oh man, it's so small and it uses so little power. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> there's just a giant server farm on the other end that's using just as much power as it ever did, right? Like it's it, there's a there's a sort of sleight of hand that happens with this stuff, where like because you don't see the server farms, you assume it doesn't exist. It's it's very like you know classic commodity fetishism, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, like it's. Um, this uh, the kind of
0: uh, the argument here then is that like I mean da- data is a, is a raw material really right like and it's like and like in the, the classic old capitalist process right like material inputs are combined with labor to produce more stuff right like um, this is still a material process it's not
1: something kind of weird um, and different. Um, and and someone is working on that data, or someone is working on the algorithm which mm-hmm. works on that data.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 we think it, thought of as lumber, right? That like it, it's a raw material that feeds into some process. And I mean, even if it's a skilled process, such as you know AI programmer, that's still a labor process that's acting on a raw
2: material. Yeah, and and, and sort of check encourages us to think about like not just the person interacting with the facebook ui as a source of data but also like the vast array of sensors and lines and you know uh power systems and like all of these different uh points for collecting data that are much less um human and much more familiar to us uh in kind of like the way we usually think about in industry right like the, the this kind of like big industry picture that's also a part of the data story right and like the fact that the fact that um you know amazon and google are trying to crowd your house with sensors absolutely everywhere does not mean that like those sensors don't exist right like it, this this is this is like an extractive process um that has many different uh, angles to it, um, and, and it not just about the individual interacting with the abstract concept of the corporation.
1: Yeah, and it gives me a real, almost maybe this is the wrong person, but it gives you a real, like almost like Luxembourg feel. You know, like a, like a kind of like like capital, you know, is is has to constantly expand geographically, and it constantly has, it constantly has to expand intensively. And you and and Harvey picks up on that in his work, right? saying like, okay, like neoliberalism doesn't just involve smashing labor; it involves commodifying more and more aspects of life. And now it's like the number of steps you take on your run, right? Like like the the uh, the temperature in your fridge, right? The 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 the, the ways like your your the, the the times that you cook and you don't cook with your. Fr- it's everything when i bought a new tv the very first thing my smart tv asked because i didn't realize because i'm an idiot and i didn't realize that fire was amazon uh they were just like can 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 uh alexis or whatever the hell uh listen to every single thing that you're saying uh at all times even when the tv's off and and uh, that was the first thing i did i clicked i clicked no and then i and then i i disconnected it from the, from, from the internet, and my smart TV is now a dumb TV with excellent resolution. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, Srinicek mentions, people may find some of these products useful, but they're not clamoring for them. No one clamored for smart TVs. No one clamored for smart watches. There was no massive design. But if I go into Best Buy now, I can't find a dumb TV with, with, uh, with 4K, because they're going to bundle 4K with their sensors. That's and, right. And, and they're going to integrate into their platform, and it is the carrot.
2: And the other thing to think about is that these corporations are massively subsidizing all of these uh, sensor products, right? Uh, Like the, the connected home, Internet of Things, all of that stuff is massively subsidized because people will not go out and buy it themselves unless mm-hmm. it's subsidized
0: well yeah i mean your, your your amazon whatever the fuck it is the little the little cylinder it's like 10 bucks or whatever but that would be like yeah 50 or 100 or whatever if you were if it was on its own and it, you just we, yeah you wouldn't do it because it's like a fucking stupid
1: idea same with the smart tv stuff um and, and, yeah. and, and it drives home the necessity of Needing a monopoly to begin with to get those network effects, and which which then once again brings you back to the fact that you need a state finance nexus that will that will uh, flood these guys with cheap money that the average person or the petit bourgeois person or the average worker will never get access to, and and I I just I just love the way all this just explodes the the cult of personality of like the great Zuckerberg of history thesis, right? Like the great Mm -hmm. Zuck of history.
0: Yeah, but that's uh that's the the head that's being built to here is that like yeah the, because data is so is the, the new hot re- raw material um it converges on this new bu- new business model essentially which is the platform um which is all about extracting and hoarding data right? right it's um it's everything it does and it usually does this by um becoming a well platform is a thing where it's it's getting in the middle of two groups right like buyers and sellers. And is, is building the platform on which they'll interact. Um, such as you know, Spotify, right, is a platform that hooks up like music listeners to music producers or to, to record labels. Uh, Uber is a platform that brings together people who want to want a, a car ride and people who are willing to give it, this sort of thing. And they're inserting themselves as middle, middlemen into everything and then recording everything that happens. And as we've alluded to, like network effects are a big part of this, right? Like the positive feedback loop. Of like um, the more like the more friends you have on Facebook or whatever, the more valuable the the platform is. Um, the more drivers are available on Uber, and the more users that are available, that's a sort of virtuous cycle or a feedback loop that goes around and round on itself, which becomes this kind of like tendency towards monopoly and a kind of winner take all kind of thing.
2: So like I mean yeah, and there there is a point that Cernicek adds there that I think is also important, which is that having that monopoly position having that really strong network effect working to your advantage is also the way in which you are able to get new kinds of data that are not part like not part of your core competency right because in platform capitalism that neoliberal drive to cut down to core competencies is completely exploded and, and because of the desire to collect every kind of data you possibly can, these companies tend to balloon out and proliferate in all kinds of different competencies because they just want more points of contact with the world they can extract data from. Um, and so you get something like, you get something like, um, you know, uh, Google uh, expanding from Maps into expanding into having like car navigation systems because like they didn't previously have access to that data necessarily, right? But um, because they already had the map data, they could make the argument that this is a useful system. And then drivers will use that system, which expands their data set more and which allows for the next stage of data expansion.
0: Mm -hmm. It becomes like a sort of expanding nanite swarm or like the the, the flesh blob at the end of Akira (laughs) that just like expands. Um, Yeah, Yeah, and takes over uh, everything uh, in its path. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Tetsuo is is capitalism. Um, <laughs> totally. Yeah, but um, the next section then brings us on to um, basically five types of platforms. Um, he breaks it down as advertising platforms, cloud platforms, industrial product, and lean. Um, the um, which I think yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in here which will we won't we won't get into absolutely everything, but um, we'll touch on the important points. Um, the advertising platforms came out of the dot com boom and boss. right? just basically think Google uh, essentially. Um, where, like, after, you know, they were doing this thing where, like, they were unprofitable during the boom, right? And then when, they're bu- when, when everything went bust, the, the handful of survivors needed to become... They needed to get revenue immediately to stay,
2: to stay alive. So Google starts running ads, basically. Um, yeah, well, and there's an interesting point that Cernicek makes about these advertising platforms, which is that, like, in the boom period... There were, a, there were a plethora of different strategies for profit-seeking, um, but the companies in this era tended to land on advertising because they were sort of already like having to focus so much energy on pitching their product. That they kind of already had this like expertise as hucksters and ad people, <laughs> right? Yep. And so like th- that was sort of the reason why this th- like after like you know where like in the in the bubble uh, in the tech bubble economy where everything was just like vapid bullshit and everybody was just spinning stories, um, it that that sort of expertise kind of like in the bust ended up serving them well mm-hmm. and getting into <laughs> we advertising were right? yeah. <laughs> so, yeah it's pretty funny
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. um uh, sort of gets in a bit here into the um the, the sort of relation to this and like the the web 2.0 era and the whole thing about user generated content i think this is something we we touched on a bit earlier with the um the autonomous stuff right that like we get this common account that this is um this is like a exploiting free labor, right? But it's, it's really not, right? Because he, he has a much more rigorously Marxian kind of uh, take on labor here.
2: Yeah, it's it's similar to the, the critique of the, uh, the the sort of expansive use of the term emotional labor, um, right? Where it's like, no, labor is like a thing that is proper to um, the relation between the capitalist and the worker. Things outside of that, they don't produce value, they shouldn't be considered yeah. um,
0: in the technical sense of value.
2: They don't produce capitalist value, yeah. right? Like it's not it's not it's not value that can be realized as profit, yeah.
1: right? Well and it also um, becomes more politically generative, I would argue, because at the at the point where it's like you say that everything people doing outside of their working hours that they often enjoy doing is is exploitative labor, then why would why resist that? Right, like, 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 my students never get that. Like, they just, they're just like, their eyes. Well, then it's. I guess, I guess, I guess, working for capitalism is great because I love posting these dank memes. Mm Yeah. <laughs> I love these dank memes. Like, why? Don't take my wait. Is socialism going to take my dank memes away? Like, no, it's not. Where, you know, <laughs> like, crucially, <laughs> your,
0: your dank memes and your messages to friends and stuff on on uh, on WhatsApp—they're they're not created for exchange. Firstly, and if they were, they, that process would be disciplined by the usual capitalist imperatives to do more and do it more efficiently. And I have no intention of like sending fucking stupid pictures to my friends more efficiently. So it can't be labor, really, like, realistically.
2: Um, yeah, I, I think what people confuse is the, the way in which um, the uh, lack of access to the means of production and the inherent precarity of being proletarianized uh, causes us to use whatever means we have available to sort of, like, rationalize our lives and make them more uh, profit-producing. Uh, they, they confuse that with like anything we do outside of work as, as a whole, right? Like, like that general motive is not the same as engaging in uh, actual like Salaried or waged work.
1: Yeah, that's right, and, and, also, and also that the means of social reproduction, including your own entertainment, are increasingly commodified. And I think that that is a that is a blurring line that autonomous exploit for 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 theory that I don't think actually whole, really explains what they're looking at. Right? Like it's it's uh, so it's like on one end, yeah, your social reproduction is increasingly happening on um activity uh, on, on on platforms owned by companies that are profiting from your use. Of that but that does, that does not in and of itself means that you are laboring for those uh, companies in a productive sense I mean uh, I, I know a guy um, I think Kyle you, you knew him too when he was in, I think we Kyle and I used to go in the same uh, grad program named Rob Prey, who uh, uh, is uh, he 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 was ar- always arguing against people like folks saying that this is, this is a lot more like rent you know, and I, and I think that analysis is a little bit closer, not quite the same, but a little bit closer than Cernicek's.
2: Yeah, it's it's, a, it's sort of a third option that's not really discussed in this book very much, where it's like, you know, you, you have the that, that idea of free labor, you have the idea of uh, these firms as rent collectors, which I think is, is is definitely valid. And then there's this third idea that that Cernicek is, also, is introducing in this book, which is that, um, you know these these firms are firms that collect and work upon data as a raw yeah. material, and like data is produced by your your so like sending
0: messages to your friends, right? Like, but like that's the thing is the social interaction produces this residue that is is a a, a, um, a wonderful raw material for these companies, and that's why you're being interpreted. Like, you're not being drawn into the platform to be exploited as such. You're being drawn in so they can scrape the data off of you. You know, like the the, the residue of your interactions. Which is a delightfully gross
1: image, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Mark Zuckerberg with a little squeegee, and he's just kind uh, of the, the, scraping the data. data grime off. Well Well, they,
2: they you know, it's literally the phrase that's used, right? It is. <laughs> like, literally. Um, but uh, I, I, I did want to just, you know, offer some clarification for our listeners, because uh, I think... You know, a lot of people may not be familiar with the, the sort of economics use of the term rent. Um, uh, because uh, so what, you know, we're familiar with is rent as like apartment rent, right? Uh, you pay your rent. Um, but the term rent in economics um, basically refers to just any income you can derive from having ownership of a thing without actually uh, putting any, like, productive use into having it, right? So when your landlord owns your apartment and you're paying them your rent, they are collecting a rent in the economic sense. But it can also be a thing like, um, say, you know, a country has uh, control of the land where a bunch of valuable natural resources they can collect a rent because they have access to that scarce resource, right? Like, they they can control that land. Other people can't. So if they want the thing that is valuable, uh, like oil or or gold or whatever, uh, they're going to have to pay a little extra on top of it. Um, And that's the rent. And so usually in the argument about informational capitalism, um, it's like, you know, monopoly power. Um, It's... It's, you know, having control of infrastructure. That's the sort of thing these tech companies are able to get rent from. Which I think is is totally true. Like, they do do that. Uh, it's just, you know, th- this this kind of gives us a more production-focused as opposed to, like, distribution-focused picture of how, how, yeah. how capitalism works. Yeah, totally. Um, so that's that's our ad platforms. Uh,
0: the next one, uh, which is a pretty big category, actually, is the cloud platforms. So we're talking, like... Um, Amazon AWS and, like, Google Cloud and stuff like that. basically, like, um, uh, renting out compute power and, uh, you know, renting out their internal platforms to other firms. Um, so we're, like, software infrastructure, machine learning infrastructure, data stores. Uh, any, any, I think any programmer in this era will be familiar with these because it's how we deploy our stuff now, <laughs> basically. Um, and it's, it's the outsourcing of IT taken to the next level, right? And um, it's particularly kind of, like, like, it's, it's, it's becoming the... Uh, compute infrastructure is becoming this basic means of production that, like, every business needs. Even, like, your sort of local bagel shop needs a sort of cloud-hosted way of taking payments and stuff, even if it's, like, a completely independent vendor otherwise. Like, it's... Um, even if you're not directly involved in computing, like, your your business touches this in some way. And it's uh, an entirely private utility,
1: essentially, right? Like, completely privatized. Yes.
2: Yeah, that's 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 quite right. Yeah.
1: Would retail's reliance on outsourced—just um, to so be clear, it would retail's reliance on like outsourced uh, digital transaction technology be uh, similar to this? Like, like you know, there's like there's like a handful of oligopolistic companies that run different debit card or interact machines, right? And yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah,
2: like Stripe or whatever, like that is an example of mm-hmm. this kind of company. But
0: even then, like Stripe run all of their stuff on AWS,
1: so like there's two layers of platform bullshit going on there. Okay, okay. Two layers. It's, it's, it's platforms all the way down.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, and the the sort of interesting historical point that Cernicek brings out here is that um, these kinds of cloud technologies usually developed out of, like, the internal logistical processes of these tech companies. So, like, AWS was originally... A technology developed in inside Amazon, so the different divisions of Amazon could spin up new services easily. And then they were like, "Wait a minute! Other people might want to use this too, because we have times when we're not using it. So why don't we use the the like the the extra like free time on our servers and sell that to somebody else? And then boom, it starts to blow up, and it becomes this entirely new uh, form of of profit collecting uh, and production in." Uh, in uh, the cloud uh, area
0: right yeah and it's, uh, it rhymes as well with the next um the one like the industrial platforms which is um the kind of industrial internet of things and like internetified manufacturing um i hadn't i hadn't really been aware of this before but like it's um it's pretty amazing
2: yeah it, it has it has nothing to do with consumers right like with individual consumers and so it's like very little known outside of uh outside of like probably like specialist industry journals and that kind of stuff but uh, like the really in- interesting point that Schnurchek brought up here was like GE's natural gas sensor apparatus alone collects more data than Facebook oh, okay <laughs> yeah that, that was like that is kind of amazing shocked. yeah and and so like this like you know there there is that whole like way in which digital capitalism tends to be thought of as very consumer focused in like individual consumers. But this really gets at that aspect of, um, platforms and digital capitalism that sort of harkens back to the origins of, of, of tech in, uh, in, in trying to rationalize industrial production in order to increase profitability. Um, and the other thing they brought up here is that um, these industrial platforms are trying to branch out into the consumer space, right? They're, they're trying to make it so that the like Capital Volume 2 like, realization process is smoother for these firms, which is basically that you can you can smooth out that line from the point of production to the point of consumption. And even from the point of consumption to like the point of like inventing a new product, right? Basically trying to create digital linkages between every part of the circulation process that will make things smoother and will improve profitability for, you know, large corporations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's, it's a good section. Um, I mean, we're, we're skipping a
0: lot of detail here, but, like, I mean, I think that the usual thing applies for our show, right? Like, just go and read the book. Like, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in here that we just can't cover. Um, hey, it won't take you long.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's, no, uh, it's like a day at nah. you know.
0: max. Um, but the next one, then, is the product platforms. These um, are kind of your, like, Zipcar and Spotify, right, where they're, they're leasing out some kind of a product and taking a rent off of it which is kind of there's an interesting touch point here for the history of it but like this is kind of a, an effective wage stagnation right that like big ticket purchases are kind of out of reach for a lot of people and so um i, I suppose essentially paying the ten dollars to spotify every month um is a great substitute for like you know getting a decent hi-fi and enough living space to have a cd collection you know
2: yeah um, is the the only issue i had with that section was that it seemed a little ahistorical because he talks about how like um, the music industry had a profitability crisis because people were pirating so much music, um, and then the answer to that was to come up with these product platforms like Spotify, uh, where you're getting a catalog and you can get you know on-demand access to it. That's all true, but a lot happened You know, you, you would think points. if 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 it's because of immiseration that people went to piracy, they would just stay on piracy. Where it's free instead of going to Spotify, where you're paying
1: ten bucks a month. What's being uh, What's being ignored there is like the extreme transnationally coordinated effort efforts by uh, of of repressive state activity, right? Like like my students, uh, they don't they've never torrented anything, right? Like they're missing out, and so it's. uh, well, like, yeah, but they're also not missing out on the on the VPN f- fees that I now pay. Month, right? <laughs> so, but the point is, like, I eventually have to to go to a VPN because uh, I I'm getting too many uh, letters from Sony and HBO's lawyers. Like, but when 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 that technology took off, like the the amount of. Uh, of uh like punitive uh lawsuits raiding servers the pirate base the pretty much the last of these guys around it goes down it comes back up they're constantly people are going to prison for long periods of time so like a huge amount of state repression becomes involved to make uh uh these properties that are about uh, about renting out access to intellectual property uh profitable and meaningful and um so, like a carrot and stick is being offered to consumers at the same time, to the point that um, the average uh, yo- on the younger side of of, of a millennial um, wouldn't even remember. That there was ever, ever a moment in which uh, there was another option other than to go through iTunes to directly download and purchase products or to stream off of Spotify or to or to pay uh, or to uh, watch uh, YouTube advertisements. That there was actually a period that still continues for a lot of Internet users um, like it's, it's there's, like there's. You know, especially before you needed a VPN because of increasing uh, amounts of legal action, or at least the threat of potential future legal action. Um, you know, like there's nothing cheaper than using your using torrents. Like Spotify is not cheaper than that. HBO Go, which I don't even have access to in Canada, uh, isn't cheaper than that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, the, so the the miseration argument makes a certain amount of sense, but it feels like it's kind of missing the larger point, which is all the state repression and just like you know. Um, well, does does well, anyone all does all anyone st- believe
1: that their te- their te- their visual media streaming service bill is going to be cheaper five years from now than it is than it was five years ago? Yeah, now? no right? way. Every yeah. fucking year, right? And soon you're going to need Disney's, and and you're going to need Hulu, and you're going to right like you're going to need Amazon Prime because
2: yeah, it's it's all going in the direction of what happened with radio and cable and like you know it, 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 and and I mean I think the important thing to point out there though is that these piracy services were depending on their own kind of network effects, right? Their convenience was based on the number of, of users that were using them. And that, those networks have become steadily drained and weakened because of the state punitive action and like the massive coordinated efforts to roll out alternative catalog streaming services, on-demand services. Um, which is built, which in turn is building its own form of network effects, right? Like, so it's, it's like you get a weakened network on this kind of decommodified side and you get a strengthened network on the commodified side. Yeah.
0: Um, and yeah, it's, it's having a pretty, pretty major effect on like, um, I think a lot of us always fell back on the notion that, um, for like really obscure stuff, you'd always be able to find it on a torrent at at like a last resort. Yeah, but, um, that's, that's becoming right. less and less true. Like I, um...
1: I don't think it's true for music anymore. Like movies, TV, music, uh, like, but not not really
2: music. Basically, any like because even like say like DVD rental services, which is a form of product platform, like those are all going out of business. So like there are like substantial uh, swaths of cultural history um, that are just becoming full stop inaccessible or forgotten. Because um, the drive towards creating streaming services and catalogs and monopolizing the entire media space based on that, combined with inter-capitalist cap- uh, competition, that leads to like you know, a product being on the service one year and then gone the next. And then back, maybe it'll come back, but then it will be gone again. Right. Like it's, it's, uh, there's no reliable library of like cultural history that we can draw on. And everything is becoming more and more ephemeral uh, because of the
1: Netflix just removed the legend of Korra, uh, four days before I finished avatar for the first time. I'm furious. Oh, I'm like, I don't know what happens to the earth kingdom. Right. And now I'm never going to know, but. But that, but that shit's happening all the time, right? Like, it, especially on those platforms, and it, and there's no, it's it's ephemeral, but also it drives home the extent to which, and and I think this is an, an aspect where it's it's so unlike where I think some of the more even left utopian visions of uh, early platforms and early early internet culture thought where it's like. Actually, going from a position where you are going to have uh, – the idea was the consumer or the uh, citizen or whatever is going to have m- more and more control over what they get and when. Actually, we're now rapidly moving in the opposite direction because of the way – because of the uh, oligopolistic nature of these platforms that actually – like, I'm going to watch whatever is on Netflix or Hulu this, this month. That's what I'm going to watch.
2: Yeah, and it, it, it's it's transparent – to us, because we've been through like sort of three stages of this stuff, how the way in which this stuff, like the mode of distribution, is really very specific to the institutional forms and the profit motives that we have in in our like contemporary uh, stage of capitalism, and really doesn't have to do with like the forces of production, it doesn't have to do with our technology, because. Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, We have the technology to catalog the entirety of you know human cultural production uh, and make it available. Like, we have that technology. We know because we we were almost there, right? And and now like we see it moving in the opposite direction, and we can see that this is entirely a institutional arrangement. But like as you were saying about. You know, in 10 years, like, younger people, people who are in their teens or whatever, um, will probably have no memory of that. Uh, in a similar way to like, we don't re- like when we were growing up. We didn't remember any of the utopian promises that were made about cable distribution networks, right? <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. Or FM radio. Going back, I'm reading i uh, I'm reading a uh, The uh, uh, Political Economist uh, Victor Picard's book on uh, media reform in the United States that in the Progressive Era. And it's just like, oh yeah, there was a period where people looked at FM radio. They were like, we're going to break the backs of the monopolies. Right, we're going to have people are going. We're going to have access to arts and culture. We're we're going to uh, remove the crass commercialization because they're always kind uh, of all about that stuff. And and it was like, oh no, actually, they just lobbied the F, uh, FCC, and uh, it's going to look exactly like the same shit, right? Like, and, uh, no one would ever think that today about cable or FM radio, and now no one would think maybe would be less likely to think that about uh, a, a streaming video or streaming music or downloading music. Mm.
0: Yeah, there's um. There's a, sort of a, uh, another example as well towards the end of this section that's um, kind of getting away from the like c- uh, consumer-facing side. Um, that apparently like jet engines are now not bought by airlines, they're leased by the manufacturers. So Rolls-Royce gives you a jet engine and a maintenance contract as a lease thing instead of selling it, and this is the way that they kind of ingeniously claw back some meager profit from uh, manufacturing, which is in, in the doldrums, right? Um,
2: yeah, so like this is this is a really interesting point because um, I think it does it it is a, a useful example to highlight what the falling profit rate is about because when you think about a jet engine, like it is an enormously expensive piece of technology, right? So you're thinking like, how could the profit on something that expensive be so low? Um, and the reason is because of the falling, the tendency of the rate of profit to fall, which is that you get competitors come in, you get better production processes, and over time, your product becomes what, what's often called in, like, tech these days, it becomes commodified, right? Or, uh, yeah. It'd be, it, so, so essentially, prices decline to the level of costs, which means there's no profit, right? Um, and... So even if you're making something incredibly expensive, you're you, you have an enormous productive apparatus like Rolls-Royce to build this thing. It's like a multi-year project. You have very high-salaried employees working on it. Um, it's it's just this enormous undertaking. There's very little profit just because of how um, advanced that market is towards uh, a, a decline profit rate. What what Rolls-Royce did was that they. Um, they said, well, we can make money on sorry, on servicing, but the problem was that people would just go to another service company. So what they did is they, they decided to like lease these jet engines at a loss in order to lock airlines into a maintenance contract with Rolls-Royce, That's which right. they could then make some profit on. And they get telemetry from the stuff, right, as well, that they can use
0: for
1: themselves and to, uh, to optimize the process. That's yeah. right. And doesn't it even have, like, a pithy phrase about, like, like isn't this, was it, like, uh, maybe I'm misremembering this, wasn't it, like, moving from low-margin products to high-margin services?
2: Yeah, that's Yes, right.
1: that's right. Yeah, it's cool.
0: Um, so the next section, then, is uh, on lean platforms. Um, and we're talking about our, kind of, Uber, TaskRabbit, the gross, grocery delivery kind of platforms. And these are, um, there's a couple of, the, the, the hallmarks of these platforms are that they're, they're back to the 90s, kind of, like. Uh, growth before profit models. Oh, and we're talking about Air- Airbnb as well. They're another pretty good example of this because um, they have no hard assets They're in their only assets are the software and the software platforms and the data analytics So this is like mega outsourcing like they're running extremely lean everything is uh, is outsourced or devolved in some way and this is um this is like, uh, you know, that's, that's one leg of it, right, is that they try to hold ad, almost no assets whatsoever. And the other leg of it is just, like, exploiting uh, precarious uh, employment and labor,
2: right? <laughs> yeah, it's because, you know, the, the capitalists, like, like, like late capitalism has absolutely fucked us as workers and we're all desperate for even, uh, like, gig jobs, right? Um, and, like, you know, in a, in a context where... Um, access to housing becomes more and more uh, precarious because of uh, the kinds of monetary policy we were talking about and asset price Keynesianism we were talking about um, as like, you know, housing markets become less and less affordable because of speculation. There's like a lot of room to use those unproductive speculative investments as like kind of like slum landlording through Airbnb, right? Like it's like the immiseration Of uh, workers creates uh, spaces where these kinds of predatory businesses um, that are like, you know, yeah, just using the bare minimum of of investment and assets and the bare minimum of staff. Um, can can eke out something approaching profitability, even though they're 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 actually not profitable, right? Yeah, and like this is this is again to go back to the kind of like the the way this is
0: presented inside of tech circles and inside the sort of valley world. Um, this this is the sort of oh you know alternative employment, sharing economy stuff, and it's it's really not. It's just the the spearhead of a long, much longer term trend uh, towards immiseration. Um, and it's just, it's just more of the same old shit.
2: Yeah. And, and like, he, he points out that like, this is very similar to like, you know, the peace wage, right. Which like Marx, Marx in capital says is like the most capitalistic like wage form, right. Because it, it it's the most exploitative. Um, so this is like, that was the common way that like wage, uh, wages were paid in, you know, um. Certain like really uh, low end manufacturing and extraction
1: jobs in Marx's time. The most brutal of the of the of the sweatshops in industrial England. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you, you had like parents, you know, like peace waging out their children uh, for work. And like there's nothing new about this at all. Um, it, it, it's just given a fancy gloss because of the uh, infrastructure it employs and the scope of its reach, right? Like you can you can get Airbnb in like just about anywhere, which is pretty impressive. But the the fundamental arrangement of the enterprise is 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 as old as dirt, you know. It's as old as all this capitalism, at least. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I guess something that's kind of novel about it is just how fucking unprofitable these things are. Like that they are. Yeah. They're hoovering like so again. Like the whole the, the mythology of capitalism as this dynamic force that creates, you know, that pro- profit is its main sort of thing, and you know, but these things are just hemorrhaging money. Like, and they're 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 being filled up with VC money. It's, this is basically how the, the the Saudi royal family sets all their money on fire. You know, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's just a black hole in which things go in. And they're, they're like, you would imagine that these like on paper, right? Oh, we're going to run as lean as possible. And we're just going to like fucking exploit as much uh, precarious labor as possible. That kind of should be a recipe. Sounds like it couldn't fail. Right. But it should be a recipe for success in terms of profit. Right. Like, I mean, having, having almost no overhead and all this kind of thing, and yet they still can't do it. But these are the... The figureheads of contemporary capitalism like we're, we're we're asked to like worship uber as like god these guys are amazing look at this super innovative thing and yet they still can't stick the landing like this is it's pathetic actually you know really feeble
2: yeah because like you you talk to an average uber driver and you ask them like you know how is the, how are things going and they're usually like yeah i'm not making enough money i don't think i can keep doing this like all that kind of thing. So like that theoretical stage where Uber is going to drive out all the competition and jack up rates um, might not even happen just because they can't convince enough people to work for them.
1: that's right. Uh, And, and yeah, just think of what, you need to so like to operate at a loss for the period of time that they're hoping to. You know, it's just like you need a decade of quantitative easing. You need zero percent interest rates. You need uh, a, a, a neoliberal tax regimes combined with uh, elaborate tax avoidance strategies by massive tech companies, so, so that because it is now more profitable for them to invest and in in for the Saudis to invest in. Uh, money-losing ventures that might have a chance of turning a profit in a decade than it is to invest in a corporate or government bond because uh, the rates uh, keep get the real rate of, of return of uh, the yield keeps getting pushed down through quantitative easing uh, measures, right? So this is just like the amount of, of the amount that uh, a state and and corporate elites have to get together in cahoots to just subsidize this, this massive billionaire wealth fair project for 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 tech bros for tech bro billionaires right and it's like you think you think of that in the context of people losing their uh, having their pensions slashed and their wages slashed and right to work legislations and it's it's outrageous it gives you a sense of just how much ideological work needs to go to make these people seem like heroes and geniuses as opposed to just a massive ripoff like it's just a like mm-hmm. unbelievable scam
0: well, yeah, because, like, that's, it's so often the sort of standard defense of capitalism is either that, oh, well, well, it works, you know, it's like, oh, it's not ideal, but it works, or, like, hey, look, it's this really naturalistic way of doing things, you know, this ha-, but, like, the amount of, en- like, as you were saying, the amount of fucking energy that goes into propping this thing up is, yeah, it's fucking incredible, like, I mean, if something that worked naturally wouldn't need this amount of fucking work to keep it going, Right. That's right.
1: Well, well, well think, 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 of the, Thatcher, the the classic Thatcher quote, right? Like the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. <laughs> the pro- the, 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 dude, the problem the problem with capitalism is eventually you run out of other people's labor.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, like, uh, you know. Uh... Sorry, um, I, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> oh well. But anyway, like so, uh,
0: the, the wrap up for this one is that um, these models are likely to fall apart in the coming years. Like, it's I think that's you know on a sober analysis, that's pretty on the on the money. Like, um, they're they're more and more desperate. Um, it's it's certainly the most plausible outcome. Yeah, totally. Or what's, what's worse, right, is that they, they keep on going and somehow cause and effect are detached from each other and this universe is just sort of broken, <laughs> you know.
2: Well, yeah, I mean the, the way in which – like the only, the only path to profitability for these these companies is like monopolization, rent extraction – um, like, very, like, lots, like, I, I, don't know if that's even viable because just the amount of bribery that would be required to keep that monopolistic position going, and at like a global scale, um, is yeah, that's which is that's what intense. we're already
1: seeing in China, right? Where Uber has like really serious competitors. Mm, yeah. Um,
2: well, yeah. Anywhere where there is like state um, sponsorship for an alternative arrangement. Uh, the like Uber just does not win out, right? Um, like if, if whether it's like, yeah, China or like uh, you know there's there's uh, places in Japan where Uber is like banned from operating, right? Like obviously they are not going to make a profit there, uh, or even just like you know space state sponsorship of some kind of like drivers cooperative, right? Like that can also work out better. It's it's just. It's just the fact that like they get in there with a story of like how this is going to lead to profit and it's, it's all very slick and convince municipal governments to let them in there you know possibly with some bribery on the side you know yeah, yeah. Knows. but pure underpants um, gnome logic yeah and, and and once they once they're in there and they've driven out their competitors by like exploiting their drivers to hell and back then maybe they could turn a profit in that area but like again it seems very tenuous mm-hmm. or
0: i mean the more realistic one is that they'd they do that right and then kind of immediately collapse and then you, you you end up with a city that has no taxi drivers anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Because they would have completely destroyed the sort of institutional basis, the the ongoing basis for that kind
2: of kind of labor. Yeah, and it's not it's not like that doesn't happen all the time with capitalism, right? Like like, yeah, just just look at like that Foxconn debacle with Scott Walker, right? Like in Wisconsin, where it's just like promise the moon to like Well, it was like Walker-sponsored Foxconn bringing in this factory to this town in Wisconsin, Um, and uh, essentially, like, everybody on the city council just got taken for a ride and like it was it was like they were jobs promised and stuff but like in fact like the only workers that ended up working there were like engineers from china and like it's just, like like it was just and like there was a lot of like public money that was given to uh foxconn and they just like finangled the contract like really uh professionally to uh to basically cut out any kind of benefit to the local residents at all um like you know this, this is this, this kind of like, grift and and like as you were saying, Bob this kind of grift and,
1: and scamming is just like endemic, uh, at at this point in time. Um, yeah, though I for one am shocked that Foxconn would structure their uh, contracts in an exploitive and misleading. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I just, just, think... just seem like they're the sort of. seem like they're pretty on the level with that. I don't know. That yeah, just, like... it sounds like fake
0: news. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> that's right. it's, it's uh, yeah, so the last chapter then is uh, chapter three, The Great Platform Wars, where we're going to be focusing back on competition. Um, and one of the sort of setup uh, ideas here is that um, there's a kind of a tension between, well, obviously, there's a tension between monopoly and competition, right? That, like, the data imperative produces this tendency towards centralization and monopoly for these platforms, but there's still that classic uh, capitalist imperative to, like, Uh, towards sort of disruptive competition but like in this era like are we going to see a rejuvenation of capitalist competition and vitality or a a slide towards balkanized monopolies honestly probably the latter um because like the 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 data imperative seems to outweigh that uh the the imperatives of the previous era which is which is also i think a, a sort of a neat idea right that like um there's been a qualitative shift in the the sort of structural logic of capitalism such that the um the old nostrums, like, oh, you know, capitalism produces disruptive uh, um, competition, might not simply might not be true anymore, or n- uh, would be less true than they were, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of a, in a way, a, a sort of rehash of the monopoly capitalism argument. Um, and, and again, I would always want to caution that, like, we should not overstate how competitive capitalism actually was, uh, because like, again, it cannot be said enough times, but there was no golden age of capitalism, right? Not for us, not for working (laughs) people, right? Uh, it did not exist. And because it's, it is a very dangerous concept. I think this idea of competitive capitalism is a very, very dangerous concept. It is used all the time to justify, uh, faith in capitalism. um, That, you know, maybe we could get away from crony capitalism, monopoly capitalism, XYZ
1: capitalism. um, Though though we do have periods of, maybe I'm off on this, but we do have historical periods of, of relative concentration and deconcentration in particular sectors and industries, don't we?
2: Yes, but there, the 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 problem is that people listen to that, right? Yeah, the um,
1: fetishization of there's a ma- there was a magical period of time in which capitalism was a competitive, right? Or U.S. capitalism was yeah was small
2: producers, you know, they were all super innovative. Um, they were all like, you know, looking after their particular regions, um, and you know that sort of neoclassical dream. Of a market of producers with no monopolists, where everybody is just producing for the maximal social benefit, is really trotted out a lot, both by uh, sort of like petty bourgeois ideologues, um, but also by uh, like, you know, misinformed market socialists. Um and so it, it is it is really, really important, I think, like I agree with what check is saying here about like this trajectory towards monopolization, but I'm just I'm just cautioning that like yeah, there are relative periods of deconcentration when you have some kind of new market that opens up, and then you get something like, you know, the tech bust and then you have massive concentration and marx talks about this right marx talks about this in capital
1: the trajectory to monopolization is 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 consistent constant in any new frontier of profit any new new industry yeah it's it's just inherent to capitalism full stop that's right
2: yeah i completely agree um sorry i think i have to go to get the door i'll be right back Oh yeah, we're 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 not getting that that big Grift Podcast money. Um, speak of the devil, my my package just got delivered by Intelcom, which is like this like delivery company, which seems to just be like outsourcing delivery to just whoever. Like, 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 oh, right, like it was right, just right, like a yeah. dude, like no uniform, just, just a dude delivering. He's, like, hey, he's like, he's yeah. like, hey, man, can, like you help me, like figure <laughs> out like where room one zero two zero is, because like I, I don't know this building. Is it like, it's like, wow. <sighs> Wean platform, wean
0: platform. I'll, I'll edit around this to keep that bit and to get out, get rid of all the chaff. But yeah, <laughs> that's actually quite nice. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like the the next section then is kind of like getting towards the end of the book, right? Is about tendencies, right? Like um, where this stuff is going to go in the future. Um, there's a tendency towards enclosure and extraction, right? Like that, I think these, well, the, the author presents that these platforms are just going to keep swelling and like thickening their membranes and drawing more stuff into them. So you're gonna you're gonna see this expansion of uh, internet of things wearables more sensors, um, drive towards like AI and more sophisticated analysis techniques. And again, like we mentioned earlier on, like this was in this was came out in 2016, and even in these two or two or three years, um, like this this is more the more and more apparent, right? And it it also like. This is why we can't just, like, demand privacy from these companies. We can't, like, appeal to them on the level of, like, values. Like, oh, you know, Facebook needs to have better values about privacy. Because there is this structural imperative towards capture. Right? It's, yeah, I mean, the, the values level of things uh, is, is kind of pointless. Um, there's a there's a tendency towards expansion. Or just expansion in general. And, like, uh, especially mergers. Like, um... Companies hoovering each other up in these kind of like rhizomatic mergers that just spread everywhere um, And everyone's kind of getting involved in everyone else's business, right? Like um, sudden, suddenly every big company is getting into um, Self-driving cars is one of the ones that jumps out obviously Like even Apple is getting into self-driving cars, which is fucking ridiculous Because because of this like monopolistic winner-takes-all sort of tendency Like you, you have to get involved and try to win outright but that just means that you end up with this convergence, right? Like where you end up with like essentially ten or fifteen com- cop- copies of the same company. They're all involved in the same markets. They're
1: all half-assing every fucking sector they're involved in. Um, they're all trying to be involved in in advertising. They're all trying to be involved in digital purchases. They're all now he mentions they're all trying to be involved in getting the ne- the, the the next medical platform they want. Right, they can't. Yeah, yeah, they're non-specialized, right?
0: Yeah, and this is the thing, right? Like, we usually think of this as like, or well, I suppose in a previous era, maybe like a tendency towards specialization and like doing your um, what was it, your core competencies, right? Now and outsourcing whatever you weren't actually strong at. But this is this is the opposite. It's a it's a tendency towards bloated sameness, where every every platform just does a poor job of serving every segment.
2: Um, Yeah, which which like you would think may create, like, a a opening for uh, firms to actually specialize on core competencies in in a way that, like, Apple generally tries to do, right? Because they're actually... Their involvement as a platform company is somewhat limited compared to others. They're more of a a hardware manufacturer. um, And, like, I guess you could say, like, a lifestyle brand or whatever. Uh, But, like... um, It's uh, that that tendency towards specialization is always going to be checked by the need to hoover up as much data as possible. So like one, you know, one conceivable scenario that could come out of this is like all of these firms basically going to the state and saying we need to work out some kind of agreement so that we can specialize on things because we're just stagnating here right like the, the, it's not inconceivable that that could happen even though like using the walled garden having the network effects is super valuable to these companies if stagnation sets in enough they may go to the government for uh, like to the US government or whatever like basically like transnational uh, capitalist state entities um, to work out some kind of sharing agreement uh, so that um, they can overcome this tendency
1: yeah Though, though it's hard to imagine something like that occurring outside of another crisis. Oh, absolutely. Like, like this would of, be a like crisis a, like, situation. Like a 2008 uh, for, yeah. for big platform. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and the sort of, the last section then kind of wraps up with, like, considerations of the future, like, where this is, like, two different trajectories this can go on, right? Like, that we can, we can have this, like, continued tendency towards these enclosures and, um End up with a kind of like foam of uh, of interiors that are just like completely separate from each other and in competition and trying to grab as much as possible, um, or you know like the state can can challenge these these beasts right like um, you could get uh, public platforms as as real utilities like a, a public AWS or a public equivalent of Uber would be one thing and um, especially if they're not making money mm-hmm, yeah well I mean yeah like if, if they're not making money anyway they need to be utilities. <laughs> like public utilities, um, and, uh, you know, a, public, a push towards uh, post-capitalist platforms um, where the data isn't trapped but is used for planning. So th- there's a lot of potential there, like a lot of uh, utopian futures that could fall out of that. Um, I guess we just need to, need to communize Uber, right, like <laughs> and communize AWS.
2: Uh, well we need to communize everything which was already kind of the issue right (laughs) Right. that that concept back
0: out into the realm of the political right that like this is um, like so much of the, the calls to like um to grapple with these platforms are not really in the realm of the political they're again in that realm of values or some dumb shit like that right like this is this is orienting us back towards like if you want to have requisite variety to challenge these uh, these these monstrous beings you need to be organized at that level and that, that that is a political project that kind of has nothing to do with tech
2: yeah so i mean you know we've talked on this show about how um, tech can be a uh locus for uh worker struggle um and you know one of the trajectories that that really should focus towards is towards these becoming possibly worker owned Possibly socialized in some kind of other way, but basically, like these need to stop. Like especially these utilities that are the backbones of everything we rely on, they need to stop being capitalist firms. Uh, and, and like driving those towards some kind of communist future really is the horizon we can think about in terms of like what does what does a communist project mean, right? Because they're. In, in a similar way to like, you know, how, um, utilities were turned into co-ops in some places back in the day of, you know, like, uh, robber baron capitalism, um, we can think about collectivizing the platforms in, in a, in a similar way as a similar horizon for collectivization for, for communization, um, and for socialization. Yep. In full agreement there. Um,
0: I guess that's the sort of the end of the book, really. Um, it's uh, yeah, it like the, the the capitalist world system is in kind of incredibly bad condition at the moment, and um, you know this. It's kind of astonishing that this is really the best it can produce. Like uh, in in terms of especially the lean the lean platforms, right? the, like completely non profitable um, in in systemic risk of collapse, like. Um, but they're, they're still dangerous and adaptive, right? These are still lively things um, that need to be challenged uh, with equivalent power in the, in the sort of social sphere and political sphere to, uh, to get them under control.
2: Um. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think this is, like, kind of a good point to say, well probably be covering well we're definitely going to be covering people's republic of walmart soon and it feels like when you're talking about collectivizing these massive platforms that's sort of the topical book of the day so we will be talking about that more in the future
0: yeah totally and this, yeah this this has like i think as as you, the listener can probably pick up this very much resonates with us like this is you know this this is the plan for the future
1: um is there anything else we'd like to go over before we wrap it up That sounds good to me I think that's a really good... with uh, uh, other than, other than just yeah I mean it's, it's to me I think just really fascinating about this talking about like communizing these platforms is I, I am I'm reminded a little bit actually of Lenin and his take on and his take on finance on the Wall Street you know and it's you've got this unbelievably exploitative and oppressive apparatus that nonetheless like really does socialize production and the distribution of resources in these incredible ways and I think what this book is really interesting and important is that it really just comes down to um, competitive pressures in the matter of ownership and you know these technologies are amazing. Like 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 ride-sharing technology like Uber could be phenomenal if it wasn't oriented upon exploiting precarious labor and squeezing as much value um out of out of like people whose lives are already like just brutalized and like trying to make rent and working gigs. And there's a lot of interesting hope there. And, and so the idea that this is a political issue uh, uh, um, and that there's something about the utopian promise of these, of these platforms in their own, the way they hype themselves, that's really quite fascinating. And t- if, if you could find a way to turn that technology around and actually challenge uh, uh, the corporate ownership of these kind of, what have become these monstrosities.
0: Yep. Ownership is the key word. Certainly. Yeah, um, well, I guess that's it for this episode. Uh, thanks, listeners, for coming along with us, and thanks, for thanks, Bob, for coming along with us as thanks well. Thanks so much um, for having me. Yeah, it's been great. Um, and, you know, as always, uh, if you want to come on again and talk about anything else, uh, standing offer open. You oh, know, I'd love to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you want to catch us on the internet, we're on Twitter at giunitpod. Uh, we're on the web as generalintellectunit.net, and we're on Facebook if you search for Unit um and you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash general intellect unit and maybe throwing us a couple of bucks a month otherwise we we usually we give the last word to the guest. Uh, so bob if there's any anything you'd like to plug or anything you'd like to make the listeners aware of where to find you on the internet and such
1: oh i don't know if there's anything like that uh, uh at least that would be relevant to uh your uh listeners uh because it, mostly the stuff i'm involved with is pretty pretty local bc but uh I, I honestly i'd just love to uh thank you guys for having me on and give the opportunity to uh I talk this through with you guys i thought it was super enlightening and and a lot of fun and a really valuable opportunity uh, valuable conversation so thank you yeah it's been great and thanks for coming yeah certainly
0: uh, yeah, I guess that's it for this episode, and we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Bye
2: bye. Bye. Bye.